Anniversary. Joining me to talk about the Cyber Fight Festival is Mr. John Dinsdale. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. It's grey. It's not too warm. And I'm finally not melting. There you go. Some absolutely awful heat waves at the moment. Indeed. Later on, Marcus Green will be joining us to talk about Slammiversary, purely on the grounds that Marcus will literally only know one person who's on this card. He's not a DDT kind of guy. Um, so, and equally, uh, John's not a chance to watch the Slammiversary show. So we thought it was best to go for a two-for show. And then you get to hear the theme tune three times. There you go. Anywho, uh, Cyberfight Festival was from Saitama and Super Arena, which it usually comes from. That's where it was last year. Uh, what I liked about it is that arena looks awfully like Kawasaki City Gymnasium, which is like the old Gaia shows because they have the same layout as the old Gaia shows that used to go on in Kawasaki. And it was like, that looks an awful lot. And the camera angles were the same. And it's like, those shows were awesome. So it kind of made me go, oh, I like this. Um, Chigasa Nagayo, by the way, put into the Pro Wrestling Eve Women's Wrestling Hall of Fame last week in London, which I thought was really cool. Um, but the show, as always, was a uh, cross-promotion um, between uh, NOAA, DDT, Gamma Bray Pro, and TJPW, and featured uh, a, a menage of, of uh, commentators. Crystal Chiari, Stuart Fulton, and Sebastian Sescon were on the English commentary on Hikrasal Universe. Hario Murata and Kagiro Sano were on the Japanese commentary. My uh, favorite thing is that one of the Japanese commentators is a comedian called Kendo Kobayashi. <laughs> Sorry, before sorry. I watched the show, someone had posted a picture of him. It's like, because they were talking about like close ups of commentators and things like that. And I recognized him instantly because he's in an Amazon Prime show called Documental. Wait, oh. Actually, fun, funnily enough, a few of the comedians that have taken part on that show are massive wrestling fans. And there seems to be this nice mix between wrestling and comedy in the sort of two sort of stables, I guess you would say. Because, like, comedy is all based on groups, and wrestling is all based on groups, so... Yeah. It works. <laughs> it's just fun seeing, like, comedians mixing with wrestling, and wrestling mixing with comedians. <laughs> it's true. Mark Pickering has had a couple of um, interesting moments on Twitter, because he looks after the Dover Global website and refused to speak to anyone uh, about uh, the signing of a certain person we're not going to talk about. And um, also had something running with a Thor Pillars t-shirt, which was a bit weird. I haven't seen him on a commentary since, but there we go. Um, hope you're okay, Mark. Anyway, uh, the opening match was Muscle Saike and Yukio Nae, and they defeated Kazuki Hirata and Sami Taiko in 9 minutes and 43 seconds. This was on the pre-show. It was a long pre-show, but it was generally a long show. There was a lot. If you look at the actual tape uh, time mark, it's six hours long. 
So strap yourself in, lads and lasses. It's going to be a long ride. Uh, Muscle Saika and Yuki Neo, again, they defeated Kazuki Hirata, Sumoto Keo. It was perfectly fine. Kind of uh, kicking off opener. I can't really... There wasn't an awful lot of people there. They didn't actually get there until the show started proper. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. What did you think of this? It, it's nice to see Muscle Sakai instead of Super Sasadango Machine because it meant you were getting wrestling and not a PowerPoint presentation. True. Absolutely true. And it's nice to see Naya being paired with different people to learn different things as he sort of makes his way through the sort of learning tree. And then Harata and Takao are always fun to watch. Harata because he always seems to get himself into the worst situations. And Takao because he's too cool for all of this shit. <laughs> and you yeah. said it's just a nice opener. It was. Um, next up was more kind of my speed. Arasuendo, Kayo Tarabami, Mahiro Kayaru, and Moko Mayumito, along with Neo Kukitua, defeated Haruna Neko, Hyper Misao, Pom Harajuka, Yuki Eno, and Yuri in nine minutes and ten seconds in an absolute, like, atypical Joshi Hell for Leather 10 person opener. The kind of thing that the, the, it can't, what I like about these matches, it kind of throws back to Joshi in the 90s when everyone's fighting for a spot and all of the CGPW girls just go hell for leather all the time. So I really enjoyed this. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, it was a nice way to get everyone on the roster, especially a fan of Yuri, the only Ganbury lass in this match. He <laughs> was just kicking the hell out of everyone. She is someone that's sort of come more on my radar as I've like explored the Gandare side of Cyberfight, and it's just been, yeah, as you said, it was a nice sort of chaotic opening contest to get a lot of people on the card to do a lot of chaotic tag wrestling, and yeah. they seem to leave the most time for Neko, Palm, Endo, and Kiryu, so you can't complain. Yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of expect Hyper Masao and, and Palm and maybe a couple of other names at this match to have a bit more to do. But there was an awful lot going on later on the card. So it's perfectly understandable why they were down here. And there was nothing wrong with what they did. I'm not complaining, just saying, you know, there were some big names in this match, really, for what it was. And it was fine. Um, next up on the last of the pre-show matches... Eruption, Hideki Okutani, Saki Yakai, and Yukio Sakaguchi defeated Kenoka, Mizuki Watase, and Yone Manase in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Eruption gave them a right kick in, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, they did. Uh, Saki Yakai was having none of it, and she was kicking people really hard in the face, which is always one of my favorite things that she does. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this match. Eruption on form are always one of my favorite six man tag teams. Give them house a torture, I say. I think they'd have them. What's your thoughts? I was slightly surprised because being slightly out of the DDT loop every now and then, I had no idea Hideki Okatani had joined Eruption. And then I see him swaggering out with red hair, looking intimidating. I'm like, where the hell's the, the sort of weedy rookie I knew? Oh, like, no. He's a, he's a grown man now. John <laughs> Okatani is dead. Long live the Eruption, Okatani. And as you mm-hmm. said, yeah, they... They just doled out a shit kicking on the Ganbare team. <laughs> it's like I always love seeing Ken Orca. Like he's so fun. And interestingly enough, Watase and Okatani used to be John Retsu, so seeing them beat the shit out of each other was quite the surprise as well. Yeah, no, this, this was just good. This was uh, there, there was a bit of psychology behind it because uh, I think it was a it was it Oka had said 
I, I know all of these guys and know what they're like. You know, I, I know their game plan. And then Katani said, yeah, but we've moved on. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, it's all right. Don't I'm just always going to pop for Sakaguchi killing people. Of course you are. He's like the scariest man on the DDT roster. Um, Stu actually mentioned something about him, about his dad. And I'm trying to remember who his dad was. And I think it is Seiji Sakaguchi. He used to be the boss of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Huh. So, you know, because he said the son of a, a famous wrestler. And I was like, hang on. And I'm sure it's Seiji. I'm going to cut. I'm going to look it up now. Because Seiji Sakaguchi. He, in fact, if I'm thinking of the same guy, uh, I believe he may have been president of the WWF. Yeah, Seiji Sakaguchi. Mm-hmm. I was right. Seiji Sakaguchi. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, Seiki Sakaguchi, uh, WWF, NWA, and New Japan Pro Wrestler, uh, started in the Japanese Wrestling Association, um, was in Forced Vengeance with Chuck Norris. There you go. God Trained, damn. trained by Carl Gotch and Mikio Yoshimura. Um, I'm sure he, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was an all Japan judo player. And he started went to JWA. It's different, different Sakaguchi I'm thinking of then. But yeah, no, his dad was a bit of a player back in the day for New Japan and for JWA. So there you go. Yeah, he was president of the National Wrestling Alliance. That's it, 1992 to 1993. Mm-hmm. And he was president of one of the big companies. Yeah. So there you go. Interesting and- little side note there on an opening match. Should we move on? Uh, the card proper started with Kai Fujimori and Kinyu Akada. They defeated Toi Okojima and Yui Koroku in 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, yeah, this was all right. I didn't know an awful lot about these guys going in, so it was kind of just a fun wrestling match for me. Can you fill me in on a bit more background? I'm pretty sure this was um, Noah Rookies versus DDT Rookies. Because hmm. I know Okada hasn't been with the... If it, I think it's Okada hasn't been with the company that long. And so I think it was a rookie versus rookie sort of opening by a fest. That's what yeah. I'm surmising. Because that's how it played out as well. There was a lot of sort of pride points on the line with it. Yeah, it was it was pretty stiff, which you'd expect, really. Um, didn't get any marks from the cage match users. <laughs> a lot of the matches didn't get a lot of marks from the kids. The, nec- the next one, which is some big names in it, you've been on AEW quite regularly and recently, and you thought it would do it, didn't get marks. Yeah, those are the only two that didn't get marks. We'll talk about the next match in a minute. But yeah, this uh, is fine. I was going to say the next match didn't get marks because one of the people doesn't have a profile. Possibly, yeah. They may have had marks, but you can't. Uh, true. Hmm. Anyway, we'll come to that in a second. But yeah, uh, so yeah, kind of like a bit of a bragging rights match. The next match was, uh, how do we pronounce this? Is it 121 million? Uh, yeah. yeah, 121 million. 121 million, which is the super tag team dream team of Maki Ito and Mayu Yamashita, along with Jujiro, Jurio, Juria, even go right, Nagano. They defeated Hikari Noah, Suzume, and Yuki Arai in 10 minutes and 54 seconds when Yashimita landed some killer kicks to take the pinfall, and it was a good kind of uh, scramble match. It was 
a bit all over the place. It had some set pieces, which you're always going to get with Makito in there. No one's going to steal her spotlight, are they? Not even Yamashita. But Yamashita was, she's the top dog in the promotion, and she looked like it here. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this was great. Ito and Yamashita have some of the best like tag team dynamics in wrestling right now because they're such an odd couple that just seem to work so well together. Nagano is like TJPW's newest sort of member who is a nurse, yes, an action actress, a karate master, and now a pro wrestler. And you could just see her kicking the shit out of people. <laughs> yes, she, she's like the... She, she, she's like the... Um, huh. Ah, I've got his name now. Ah, Chris Christopherson of Japanese culture. She just does everything. And yes. she's, yeah, moulding nicely into the wrestling business. It's a I shame say- Hikari Noah didn't get to do more in this match because she's one of my favourites from TJPW. But, yeah, again, yeah. pretty decent match. Yeah, and you're starting to see the big scope of the presentation because they all got big entrances on this match. You know, you, you, everyone got a big entrance and it was nice to see. And then you actually start to realise a bit after the next match when the title matches start, it's like, oh, this is a big show and this is a big deal. And we're getting to see a very, very, very big deal. Um, next match was Pheromones, Akito Nishigaki, Danshuki Dino, Yuki Ino, Yumahiro Imanari, and they defeated Kendo Kishin, Sansahiro Takagi, Shinya Eiko, and Yumiki Hata in 13 minutes and 21 seconds. Yumiki Hata's continued feud with uh, Pheromones in DDT. Uh, been going for nine months now, I understand. Uh, don't seem to slow down. They keep banging in. And uh, yeah, this, was, this was exactly what you expected to be. Just <laughs> silliness. Stupidity of the highest order. <laughs> but good. Uh, I love pheromones. It it's so sort of it's Bizarre. a 90s gimmick. It's like such it's what the 90s thinks was a good gimmick. And somehow Eno and crew just make it work because they run it so far into the ground that you can't help but smile at it. <laughs> like watching Eno do sexy fitness. And stripped down as he's hit is hilarious. And then they brought Akito into this group. Ex boring wrestler Akito, who was doing the same masochistic stripping as Takagi, just loses his brain self. <laughs> this this was hilarious, and it it felt even better because they put like Kendo Kashin in, who is normally the sort of cheating gimmick wrestler. Who's being out gimmicked by this group of sex pests? <laughs> I I loved this because it's just so silly and so funny on so many different levels. Absolutely, it's just fun. It's just 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 fun. That's what it is. That's all it is. It's thirty minutes of your life where you can unplug your brain and just enjoy something. So that's all you need to do. Something a bit more serious was the Princess of Princess title number one contender four-way match. Riki Tatsumi defeated Maya Watanabe, Mizuki, and Yuki Kamafuki. Nine minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, this made up for there being no up girls performance on this show. Um, I thought it was a bit rude of them not to include them. But yeah, this was good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was a bit of a breakneck speed match, which you kind of expect from a four-way People know I'm not the biggest fan of four-way matches, but this kind of 
did the things it needed to do to make sense. You got big spots out of people where you needed them. It's, it's as good as it could be, I think, anyway. And yeah, it was, it was again, it was just, it's the, the thing is with the show, you're trying to get as many people on as you can so you can highlight as many stars as you can. And this kind of gives you a big idea of what they're all available, what they're all possibly can do. And yeah, it, it did what it said on the tin. You know, it's Actually, still. Where the hell was Raku? Just mentioning the up up girl, she's the only one on that doesn't have a match. Hmm. Well, you know, she might be injured, to be fair. Oh, she was too busy sleeping. Mm. <laughs> what did you think of this match, anyway? Yeah, I again thoroughly enjoyed it. I just said really fast, everyone's got their own style and everyone managed to do their own thing. Watanabe doing all her insane strength spots, Tatsumi hip attacking people, Mizuki getting all her sort of high flying and fun moves for the gift makers, and Kamafuki coming in to kick people. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone had their role and everyone did what they needed to do to make a really fun match. Tatsumi is going to be the number one contender again. Yeah, there's a big um, TJPW show coming up, I think, next week. Or is it gone this week? I can't remember. Where she was uh, likely to change. Yeah, it's it's yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, I'll have a look at that for when it's booked up in a second. Um, the trouble is cage match. All the, hang on. Uh, Wrestle Universe will tell me. Do, 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 do. Hey, looking up Wrestle doubt, Universe. Yeah. Sorry? I'm just saying when in doubt, check Twitter. Uh, probably, but trying to get my computer to do Twitter at the minute is no, because it's recording Skype and it'll take forever, whereas this will be fine. Uh, where have we got then? Uh, it's the 9th of July. 9th of July. There you go. Stream archive. 9th of July. There you go. All right then. So, yeah, for a while in the future, and we'll talk about who is the current champion in a moment without spoiling it for you before you get to the end of the show in the next matchup El Hijo del Dr. Wagner Rene Dupree and Simon Gotch along with Simon Timothy Thatcher defeated Daikai Inabi Keizuki Fujita Masa Kitamiya Shuhei Taniguchi and Takashi Sigara when Shuhei Taniguchi pinned himself uh, 14 minutes and one seconds of the kind of just break loose Noah kind of heavy big lads wrestling match you kind of expect from a bunch of heavy hitters and to be honest with you you know a, a bunch of middle-aged men who should know better um <laughs> in many cases to be honest that could describe quite a few of these matches um yeah in fact we'll talk about one later uh but yeah this was uh this was all right nothing wrong with it it was fine nice to see Rene Dupree uh I haven't seen him in ages Timothy Thatcher looks good um yeah Ellie Joe Dell Dr Wagner that junior <laughs> one of the one of our listeners Jason um uh who talks to me on Twitter all the time was really disappointed that I can't remember who was it I, it was a there was a, a luchador that he wanted that he wanted yeah that was it and it was Elhijo Dell Dr Wagner Jr why not just call him Dr Wagner's grandson <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't work like that. <laughs> um, they did want to make El Hijo del Santo's son, Junior's, so El Hijo del Santo's son, the grandson of El Santo, but he wrestles under a different name now entirely. So, yeah, but, yeah, this this was all right. John, 
<laughs> See, I like a lot of the names involved here. Like Rene Dupree, great to see back in action. Timothy Thatcher in his happy place. Simon Gotch, always an underrated wrestler in my opinion. Mm. Looks like he's having the time of his life here. And yeah, it's just a bit of a chaotic clusterfuck of a match. Why is Tani no longer in Funky Express? I... <laughs> I know, oh my I... god, that's that's who Shuhei Taniguchi is. Yeah. I was looking at him the entire time and I'm thinking, why does he look familiar? But I've never heard the name Shuhei Taniguchi and it's just like, it's King fucking Tani. Yeah, he's no longer in Funky Express. What I happened? Did, I did get confused as to why Funky Express weren't on this show. Oh, yeah. So um, I John dot exe has stopped working. What? Let's have a look here. Um, did you do it? Really good. Funky Express, Sherry Taniguchi. Uh, twenty to twenty twenty two, just doesn't exist anymore. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Current gimmies, even cage match hasn't called. They're still calling him King Tanny. Um, I, I don't know. Answers on a postcard. What happened to Funky Express? We're quite sad. We're upset. Uh, the current, the, the line of the Funky Express no longer exists. I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia because they'll actually give me a storyline. Uh, yeah, there you go. I back Taniguchi under his ring name. Pro Wrestling, no, there we go. Uh, no, they, they stopped with um, yeah, the, the reason why I didn't recognize him is because he used to go under the name of um, my back Taniguchi um, when he wore a mask and then he lost the mask um, and he's now currently using Shuhei Taniguchi um, but yeah, yeah, don't know there you go, sad times I did laugh at the fact Vegeta is still just being an Arnie sort of bastard. He is, really. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't hate him because I just love that pure, sort of aggressive, almost Dump Matsumoto style he has. And it's just, I'm here, you're there, I'm going through you. You have no say in this. <laughs> you are going to die. Yeah, I, mm, uh, it, mm, it's just yeah. It's I think this is the thing. It's like he's a bit of a cock. That's the only problem. <laughs> I think the, I think this is the issue, and we'll probably have to readjust ourselves as we go through this. But a lot of one of the reasons why Noah's lost its momentum since Christmas, when it had loads of momentum, is because they put the title on Vegeta and killed all the momentum the company had, um, and you know. They recently had a $300,000 challenge. If you could um, um, increase the revenue of pro wrestling now, you could win $300,000 if you were a wrestler and were a name. Um, and the fans all responded with, well, just stop giving the belt to the old guys. And that'll probably be a lot cheaper. The other things they said as well, which I've gone into before, and we, we don't talk about that. So, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, there was basically is all, all we'd like to see is the young guys keep getting opportunities because they're the ones we're watching it for. And instead, they've hired a bunch of gauging that Western fans aren't that bothered about. <laughs> and some of them they actively despise. I so mean, it's like. Thatcher should bring some 
You'd think so. Thatcher, Thatcher's probably a good pick. You know, and there's a couple of them. I'd say Gotch is a good pick because he's he's value for money. He's not going to be massively expensive and he's going to give you good quality matches and he's a character you could build around. He's also great with the sort of technical Noah side because mm. he's he's a pure blood spark guy. So he's yeah. used to hitting hard and getting hit hard. That that's that's fine. It's just that, you know, the the reason why lots of Western fans were getting into Noah is because it wasn't New Japan. And, you know, they were trying to kind of like, oh, it's something different. It seems authentically Japanese. I don't it's like, you know, sometimes it's like that's not the way Noah's been traditionally. Traditionally, it's always had a lot of Asian talent. But, you know, they found a groove. Why not explore that groove and widen that groove instead of just going for a different groove would be my argument. The, the slightly annoying thing is we've just sort of gone into the old guy's argument. <laughs> Sorry? Say again. The problem here is once we get to the main event, we're gonna. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. But but again, that's that's the thing. I mean, I we have to kind of have to talk about it now because it was majority of the old guys were in this match, at least at later matches. And I think that's the differences between like what you look at the way DDT is presenting old guys, um, like Yonakiyama is is tagging with younger people, if you see what I mean, and getting them that's... over. I think the odd thing is DDT's had like all the people carry the belts, like Yonakiyama and Masato mm. Tanaka have both been the top champion, and yet they always fall to the younger guys. And I think that's the difference, isn't it? Whereas it, it feels like the other way around in Noah. It's it's such a weird dynamic that both companies technically do the same thing, but one of them gets away with it and the other doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I'm as sure. I said, it all comes down to presentation. DDT is much more of an open playing field whereas Noah always feels like it's if you're not above a certain age bracket you will always be beaten true um then we're next up we we had let's see where do we get to it's oh, yeah, we're done. Tag team match. yeah the airman tag team match calamari drunken kings chris brooks and masiro takanashi along with disaster box uh hiroshima and Nao and, and naomi yoshimura defeat the 37 community mayo shuma katsumoto yuki ueno and asuka in 14 minutes and 29 seconds of a very good professional wrestling match of the highest quality because it's 37 community and CDK and I like them both those teams a lot and the other people involved were excellent as well one of my favorites on this particular card 14 minutes 29 seconds of fun wrestling that was stiff and did not outstay its welcome and was intelligently put together your thoughts John yeah it, it feels like DDT looked at the match that they were going to have to follow on was like right get every high energy person get CDK get the 37 Kamina we're going to have more of Brooks killing Shun Makatsumata and <laughs> Bring in Asuka. Yep, here we go. We've got the ultimate tag match to follow all the old guys and blow everyone away. And that's exactly <laughs> what they did. Yeah, this that's... was a very craftily timed match that just completely reignited the show. Like it, it felt like the perfect half point match. Because I think just as you were starting to flag, here's all these sort of big names, really popular performers, and crazy bastards. Yeah, and that's what you needed. You needed something to lift this show. It, this show is not bad by all accounts. Um, overall rating seven point seven five, which is fairly high for cage match users. Um, but it did, it did. When you sat there for six hours, and I think both of us skipped all the intros to make sure we could get it in, and I got it in in five hours. 
or maybe four hours and a half, four and a half hours. Gonna, if you skip uh, all the stuff. Um, <laughs> but you're kind of missing bits if you skip some of the stuff. So it was worth watching some of it. But it, it was a long ass show, let's be that honest. That was a random dance bit as well to Takagi's theme. Yeah, that there was that lots of dancing. These cyber fight dancers, indeed, if you will. They've hired a dance troupe for this entire show. I must admit, as the show went on, I did start watching some of the entrances because... Well, it does enhance... It did enhance the experience. It felt like a big show. It felt like they were doing something different. It felt like, you know, whoa, this is wrestling. Whereas, you know, that's not necessarily the case in the past. Anywho, shall we move on? And we said all we can say about that match because it didn't really move anything forward, even though it was great to watch. It was just kind it's of its own thing. Great sort of midpoint to give like some of the biggest stars in DDT their time to shine. Like Harashima is probably the most dependable guy in their roster, not called Takashita or Endo. <laughs> Brooks is like probably the best gaijin in Japan now, unless we count Jay White. But I, I don't know. I think Brooks has been better value for a company just because of how much Brooks has done, whereas White has obviously been divvying his time now. White's arguably Chris Brooks is a bigger draw too. Looks like people are going to go, but TDT have been filling arenas just as often as New Japan have. Anyway. Yeah, big names doing big things. Which is what you want. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, next up was a six-man tag. Daisuke Hirota, Katio Kiyomiya, Kiyomiya, and Yohei lost to Stinger, Hayata, and Yoshinara Agawa, along with Rob Van Dam, introduced by Stuart Fulton, who had a big sex wee when he could say the whole effing show. <laughs> Rob Van Dam in front of 5,000 people and clearly the highlight of his career. Um, but... Yeah, this was fine. I don't know how they got Rob Van Dam's music. It was public domain. He owns, I think, the band. He's close with the band. I know that he's used it elsewhere as well. It's not a WWE-owned theme. Right. Um, let me have a look. I did wonder if they just pulled a Mexican situation. They just don't give a just shit don't... about copyright. No, no. I think I, I know that it wasn't. I know it wasn't like a Jimmy Johnson song when he was involved with WWE. I know it was somebody else entirely. Um, but yeah, um, this was, was, again, perfectly fine. Yohei and Hayata, I'll watch them two go all day long and twice on Sundays. And Gao was an absolute legend. And Van Damme, for his age, he's 52 years old now, is still incredibly fit and still an incredibly watchable wrestler. It wasn't. He's still not anywhere near his heyday, obviously. Um, but yeah, he was earning a payday here, and um, Harada and Kiyomiya and Yohei were good. I'm just glad he didn't phone it in. No, I'm he tried. A lethargic Rob Van Dam taking me. <laughs> I don't think he'd do that to himself. No, and I think as well, you you look at somebody like Yohei and Hayata having a real crack, and you know you've got Kiyomiya there as well who can go to. Um, and Harada's no slouch. You've got to kind of hang with them, haven't you? You've got to go, or else you're going to be in trouble, and they will not be asked back. And yeah, this was good. It was solid. But again, is the match doesn't really achieve much. You still know Hayata and Yohei still hate each other. <laughs> but there you go. Any other comments on this one? Oh, as you said, again, it's just 
they're moving people along at a nice pace to make like a pretty fun show and obviously bringing Rob Van Dam back was something that nobody expected and yeah it just it worked you put six lads in with their work boots and they all stole the show for 12 minutes indeed uh speaking of things nobody expected Hatsuki Kotage, Katsushi Nakajima, and Yoshiki Inamura defeated Burning, Yonakiyama, Tetsuya Endo, and Kazuyasada Iguchi by referee's decision in six minutes and 20 seconds in a match that was obviously going to go a lot longer, but Nakajima slapped Tetsuya Endo upside of the head and gave him a concussion. So that kind of called everything short. Up until then, going well. Looked like a bit of a slow burner, likely to be a bit of a banger, as it was uh, DDT versus Noah. Didn't work out that way, though. And that was that. <laughs> Not a yeah. whole lot you can say about it, really. I'd, I heard this match had been stopped short because of an injury, but I had no idea it was caused by a rock slap. Yeah. And I just, uh, I love how nonchalant Kat, uh, Nakajima was. Just as the rest of like, what the fuck is going on here? And Nakajima's just like, and you know, still getting in his face for it. And again, just, just, Blank slate, sort of, and I just knocked your top guy out. It was I don't, I don't think Nakajima intended to knock him out. Of course not. <laughs> just hit him really hard. <laughs> he just he made the best of a bad situation because now def- they've got a storyline they can follow technically. Yeah, to be fair, Endo was hitting him really hard as well, so it's kind of just the way it was. They were uh, trying to make it like a Noah match, and it just. Something went wrong. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, Akiyama is one of the guys that invented that style. So, obviously, he can hang with that. And so can Endo and so can Iguchi. That's, that's not really the issue. But because it was just like um, Nakajima cuffing somebody around his ear all like his adopted mother used to do back in the day. Um, it just, yeah, it, it didn't end well. The and shot probably that. missed its mark. And as such, just it all I'm, falls inward. I've got a feeling that he probably did get a stern talking to after this because Endo's concussion is that bad. He's had to vacate the KOD championship, which he took off Takashita in March, and he was the you know he was the current guy, and that's kind of ended his reign short um, and had some big matches coming up. So I'm guessing Nakajima was probably not in best books in the fight. They are jumping for joy because they have just got their next big interpromotional feud. Possibly. Like, let's face it, DDT is like continuously improvising it is it is but no it's not (laughs) let's face it it's not like i've been using nakajima for much lately so why not sort of make the best of a bad situation and make nakajima versus endo true and it goes back to fight and farm um next up was the one match that actually captured imaginations on this card prior to the show in the sense of Last year's Cyber Fight Festival was the first one, and you had three championship matches that all felt like they meant something really serious for each company. And this didn't feel like that. And you had the big uh, Congo versus DDT match last year, which was a good fun. But this feels like um, this felt like something special. They were trying to do something different. Daisuke Sasaki of DDT went up against Keno in a hardcore match, which is neither of their particular ballparks but oh, as it definitely, Keno and... definitely Sasaki's ballpark it is but I, I, I mean like in, 
in DDT, I've, I've seen him lately, the majority have been straight wrestling matches. You know, and he's very, very good in straight wrestling matches. Don't get me wrong, that's what I meant. Um, but this is like, you know, it's certainly not Keno's um, kind of deal, but it's getting more and more like his deal because he keeps biting off you more than he can chew with these things. But he won this match, so maybe he's just, just like, it's opening yourself up to these things. Keno has no sense of humour and hates DDT with a passion because it's not serious enough for him because he 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 really lives to be miserable. And Sasaki, who doesn't live to be miserable and is, you know... A he lives bit to of make a, everyone else miserable. Yeah, he, that's, that's his kind of deal by, you know, being a sex god and, you know, being painful uh, to everybody else. Uh, they're obviously not going to get along. And um, it's a battle of egos, and it worked out really, really well because it was just the, the right two guys to represent the two styles of wrestling. And um, they had a bit of a banger. Uh, 8.32 from the cage match users, and Keno came out in a ridiculous costume, singing along the theme tune with his band uh, that play his theme tune. And it was just like, this is brilliant. This is old school kind of like major presentation from the 1990s. This is something like uh, Noah in 2005 would have done. And it showed a different side to Keno because he actually looked enthusiastic about something for a change. <laughs> He'd gone Super Saiyan. Yeah, that's it. It was bringing some things different. This is a bit like um, uh, Justin Liger's alter egos and uh, the great Muta. This was excellent. I really enjoyed this. What was your thoughts on it, John? Yeah, I had a blast for this one. I always enjoy Japanese hardcore matches because they, they go so above and beyond what they need to do. <laughs> this was violent. And again, I, I love the, the fact the build has been like, oh, I've got a burning kick. And so Sasaki is just like, I've got a fucking stun gun. <laughs> it's like, what? Sort of course, the stun gun got used and Keno never got to get his flaming kick off, but he still won the match. So it, it still feels like Keno has gained the moral high ground because he didn't have to use his gimmick. But I don't know, there's just something really fun about watching Killjoy Keno delve more and more into DDT's style of insanity the more he's forced to work with them. <laughs> there was a brilliant part where the members of Congo got the bike to run down uh, Sasaki with, who then jumped up and down on the bike because he got run over by it, which was ace. Um, My favourite bit is right early on when Yoshihiko gets thrown in and Keno just looks at him in disgust and <laughs> him into the crowd. Yeets him into the third row. It's just, it, it's every trope of what DDT is famous for and makes Jim Cornette's blood boil. Um, and that basically is, Keno is wrestling as Jim Cornette, you know, except he probably doesn't know who Jim Cornette is and Jim Cornette probably won't like him either. Um <laughs> So it is, yeah, it, Keno is essentially Jim Cornette in human form. The psyche of Jim Cornette's dislike of everything about DDT in human form. So there you go. And it was fine. <laughs> it was good, actually. It was all right. It was really, really good, in fact. Sorry, I shouldn't say it's just fine, because it, it's been a bit of a, a reliant one for this particular show, because some things were just fine, but this was excellent. This was really cool. Um, next up, we had Shoko Nakajima successfully defending against Yuki Sakazaki in 14 minutes and 57 seconds in my second favourite match of the night for the Princess of Princess Championship. Nakajima's having a bit of a sparkling run with this championship and she's doing exceptionally well. And this was no exception. I feel that 
the DJPW girls who've just come off a US tour uh, feeling a bit more confident in themselves after having some time with the AEW crew and working big indies in, in North America and then come back to this show. And they, they feel a bit more centered and present. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's not like big differences. It's just their, their presentation. I think we looked at the big um, show from last year when um, Miyu lost the title to Nakajima. And there was a big difference between like um, Akira Shida and the TJPW girls just in like their presence on the show. And now it feels like a lot of that presence is rubbed off on the certainly on the main eventers in TJPW who look a bit more confident and sure of themselves and like, hey, look, we're hanging with Noah and we're hanging with DDT and all these veterans and we can just put as just as good a match on as they can, and that's really cool to see. It does help that Choco Nakajima has also conquered Ichigai Chocolate Square, <laughs> the most serious of combat arenas. <laughs> Yeah, these these two really sort of had a great great little match amongst like the upper echelon of the card. Like Yuka Sakazaki seems to be the break glass for title competitor sort of role. It's like if you've got a big title match, you usually either bring her, your master, or Ito into it. And she always delivers. Like this this was an odd one because normally Sakazaki is the sort of hyper energetic brutally slugging you out one but Nakajima had a sort of grounded out for a lot of it so you had this different dynamic to what we'd normally see Mm. plus they both had insane entrances like I want Shoko Nakajima to always be followed by inflatable dinosaur people (laughs) it needs to be a thing it does I must admit I may have skipped that bit but it does look exactly what's going to happen (laughs) But yeah, now this was this was excellent and just shows you how far at TJPW you can go in producing an excellent show. Um, it's just, oh, just really good. Can't complain at all. Excellent show match. Um, and of course, uh, Nakajima will be facing, he scrolls back to make sure he gets it right, Riku Tatsumi for the Princess of Princess Championship uh, in July. And we get to the main event of the evening, Satoshi Kojima challenging and successfully taking the Granville Honor Crown Championship from Go Shiyazaki in 20 minutes and 11 seconds in a brutal match. Um, this is a match that's been kind of on the boil for quite some time. Uh, Kojima has been, you know, he was the only person left of his generation who could complete the Grand Slam of Championships, which was the Triple Crown in All Japan, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, the Global Honor Crown, and the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. And Shono nearly got there. Uh, Keiji Muto is the only other person to have got there. And that left his protege, Kojima. Um, and it seemed like Kojima was never going to main event in New Japan, so the odds were it wasn't going to happen there. And then he had that food with Okan and suddenly became a hot property again. Um, or Jeff Cobb and Okan, I should say. And he's kind of been in demand. Then he had that match with Moxley last year and everybody went, whoa, he's really good. <laughs> and it's like, we well, never stopped being good. He just didn't have the opportunities to do it at a main event level because there's so much other stuff going on in New Japan and he's kind of like, he's a tag wrestler. He kind of does his thing. And this is his 30th anniversary. He's kind of getting to the point where it's going to be now or never. Then New Japan had a deal with uh, Noah. Um, 
sorry, uh, New Japan had a deal with, uh, I saw that again. Yeah, I'm trying, just trying to get this right and make sure I get it right. Impact Wrestling had a deal with Noah and they had a deal with New Japan Pro Wrestling. They were kind of all talking. Uh, and me and Emily Pratt were like, of um, fan fight, we're going, oh, this would be really cool. <laughs> and kind of willed it into existence. More Emily than me, because she's more famous than I am. Um, and we kind of, between us, willed it into existence when, when oh, this would be awesome, wouldn't it? Well, this would really be awesome. And then all of a sudden, of course, New Japan start working with Noah more directly after Wrestle Kingdom and have kind of given Kojima on loan, uh, a long-term loan to Noah for a while. And he has completed the Grand Slam, the, the NWA, IWGP, Triple Crown, and GHC Championships. Uh, now, having said that, there'll be a lot of complaints because he is an old guy and he's just beaten, we say young guy, but Shiozaki is, you know, 40. But he's he feels like a young guy because he was he's been you know knocking at the door of greatness for quite some time and arguably he is Noah as he said several times he's not allowed to say that anymore is he because he lost to lost to Keno didn't he <laughs> but there's all of these kind of like ideas of who should be ace of uh, of uh, Noah and it's kind of between Keno and and Goshizaki and Nakajima. Um, and then he gets beaten by Kojima. And it was like we were saying about earlier, like in DDT, the old guys do get the championships or extended runs, but they drop them in spectacular fashion to the younger guys. And this is another one of them where Joshi uh, Izaki breaks his heart to get past Vegeta and then all of a sudden drops it at the first defense, which he's never done before. And it's like, but this is a great match. It's a great story to tell. I don't think uh, Kojima is going to be champion for long. But we don't know how long Noah are going to have him for. And it also put... there's a massive difference between like dropping it to Kojima, mm. who gains a lot from this win. It's a massive boost to his legacy. He fills the Grand Slam bit that only a few wrestlers have done. And everyone likes Kojima. I don't think I know a single person on the planet who hates. No. Kojima, whereas Vegeta is one of the most like divisive people on the Noah roster. People <laughs> either love him or hate him, and more often than not, hate him. <laughs> so, I will, I will, I will point out though, like you know, the last time New Japan lent lent Kojima out on loan, it was to All Japan Pro Wrestling, and he left New Japan Pro Wrestling for All Japan and was Triple Crown Champion. Um. And beat his Hiroyoshi Tenzan for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at the same time, uh, when a match that was supposed to go to a 60-minute draw, but Tenzan had an injury and had to and had to submit, <laughs> <laughs> which essentially ended Tenzan's main event uh, run because I New Japan couldn't trust him anymore. Um, and Kojima, they had then had to deal with like their former star. And then, of course, you know, he also left All Japan high and dry with Muta left. There's all sorts of things. Kojima is, you're right, no one has a word, bad word to say about him, but he plays the game, and he plays the game better than anybody else when it comes to politics. You know, he's always in the right place at the right time. You know, and he, so I, I understand what you're saying about Fujita. He is very divisive. But Kojima can, can play a crafty one when he needs to. <laughs> So I, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about putting this title on him. We, no one may never see it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, 
I think it's a good promotional move in the sense of Kojima's still a big star and a big presence, and it tells a nice story. I'm not sure the Noah fans will see it that way. I don't know, because there's some really good matches he can have, because, again, Kojima's one of these sort of hybrid guys who doesn't really follow the New Japan style as such. He can he can get into the Noah headspace and play Noah matches. It, it feels like if they were going to take any kind of outside and not named Minoru Suzuki from New Japan and drop him in the Noah title scene, Kojima is probably a smartest shot. They don't really need him as well in New Japan at the moment. They've got plenty of talent now. They've got the Gaijins back, so they don't really need him in the opening matches and stuff. There's loads of things they can do. They've got some hot rookies as well. And it gives him something to do. It reinvigorates him and keeps his name. So I don't think New Japan need him. Um, and you're right, but this is the thing. It's like he can just go. And, and he's, there's also the fact that long run he had in all Japan pro wrestling means he's very into the King's Road style. You know, he wrestled King's Road guys all the time for a good stretch of his career and was really, really good at it. So coming into Noah's a no-brainer for him. It just, he just slots right in. He's perfect for it. He's going to mesh with all the guys really nicely. He's going to have different styles. He's got lots of strong style elements he can bring in to change things up. And, you know, he's not that old, is he? How old is he? 51. You know, that's actually, in the great scheme of things, not that old. Uh, and then after the match, um, Keno came down to challenge uh, Kojima for the GHC Heavyweight Championship, pointing out, you know, because he's Keno and he's joyless. He was polite <laughs> um, about it, but he, he was insistent that he should challenge for the, for the GHC Heavyweight Championship because he believes that the old guys shouldn't be entitled to championship matches just because they've been there forever. And the young guys should, it should all be on merit. And as Kojima's not had any matches in uh, Noah and hasn't won many matches in New Japan lately, then why should he get a shot at the championship? Which is perfectly fine. And it was a, kind of nice that they did it as him coming down respectfully. I think you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> kind of promo, kind of promo. Um, and Keno is obviously an excellent um, challenger. I'm not sure Keno upends him for the championship, though. I think, you know, I think it might go last a bit longer. I think they're building to something with Keno because um, he, he's, he's got such a, a presence about him. And he's like he's an anti-character, like he's an anti-existence, like he's not charismatic at all. He's but what that, is, that it makes him charismatic. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what Sonada is what Sonada is aiming for, in the sense of his yeah, um, but like kind of has a bit more to him to do that thing with. If that makes sense, I think this will be the the chat like the champion that Kiyomiya be- beats because in the little celebration bit they did at the end where everyone's doing like photo shoots and stuff, mm. there's this really lingering shot on Kiyomiya as he's looking over at Kojima. I'm just sort of like, hmm, because like Kiyomiya was sort of the young ace of the company, and since then he's continuously sort of been chasing the end of the car. So maybe this will be the time that they finally, because it's sort of like it it's gone old guy, young guy, old guy, young guy. So is he going to be the young guy that gets it next? It would boost him fantastically especially after that drubbing he got from Tanahashi Nakada in the new year, which has kind of like defined him since, um, which was one of those matches. It was a brilliant match and it was the right match to have for someone like that. 
uh, who you need to build up. Losing isn't always a bad thing um, in pro wrestling, and this was this was excellent. This was good. I think, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think Kimi might be the long term guy to take it off of him. Um, but we'll see, I guess. What's your thoughts on the card overall compared to last year's card, which was excellent, whereas this one seems to be a bit more tell stories in different ways. Not bad, necessarily, just different. Well, the, fir- the first year was all about spectacle. It was the fact that we've got, right, we've got these three big companies. We're going to mesh them all together because we're all under the same banner and we'll put on a super show. Let's not forget they were in, like, it was still pandemic era, sort of low numbers, etc. So they kind of had to go all out to get, like, the few people that could still actually attend. Whereas with this year, I think the numbers are relaxed a bit more now. But they still put in the effort, obviously. It was it was sort of more story-focused and maybe less spectacle-focused. I don't know. The more I look at the cards, the more I'm sort of like, no, nah, no, there's still a lot of spectacle matches on there. Yeah. I feel like these, these sort of shows are just giant celebrations of Cyberfight's talent. And so they just put as many people on as they can to show off as many people as they can and just be like, hey, look at us. Look at our cool shows. Look at our cool companies and look at the cool shit they can do. And I think both years have managed to achieve that. No, I'd agree with you. I think that's the the thing. This year doesn't seem as entwined. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing because each company has a different story to tell this year. Um, and we'll see what happens with next year's show, which should be intriguing. Right, John, where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that will lead you to my writings, my ramblings, my spicy political hot takes, and <laughs> all that other bullshit. And obviously keep it tuned to Steel Chair, where me and Mr. Troopany write for. Indeed, you can find my piece, which is called Viva Les Exoticos, which looks at the history of Exoticos in wrestling for Pride Month. Um, uh, if you were intrigued about the Exotico characters, people like Sonny Kiss and Cassandra Exotico and uh, Pimpinella from AAA, those kind of wrestlers, go read about them because it's a long and interesting story and a lot of fun writing it because it wasn't always pleasant, but had a happy ending which is some of the best stories we have. And maybe we will have a happy ending in some of the politics that me and John have been talking about off the air. We can hope. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, John. And after the break, you can listen to me and Marcus talk about Slammiversary. Welcome back to the Troopany Show, where we're now going to talk about Slammiversary with Marcus Green from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? Good, glad to be back, glad to be talking about uh, Impact, you know, getting their uh, 20, 20 years of Impact, a company that they said would have been out of business, you know, evolved, or felt like all 20. <laughs> <laughs> Every year was supposed to be out of business, and then uh, they, they, 20 years are still standing. It does remind me of the old Bill Hicks line about nuclear war. <laughs> nuclear war, I see two things surviving, Keith Richards and Bugs. <laughs> And Impact Wrestling. <laughs> I, uh, for those of you who've listened to this show low these last eight years, you will know that me and Marcus have had just a mutualist relationship with Impact Professional Wrestling. We used to review every show, and even us, we could not stand it anymore. And about four years ago, 
we kind of went, oh dear God, no. And then slowly but surely they drug us back in and it would only be fair to come back to a show that's been a large part of the Troopany Show universe for the last eight years. So 20 years, we'll give them their due. It is an excellent um, milestone to have for a company like Marcus said that didn't think it was going to last past the first pay-per-view because they used to do weekly pay-per-views. And you look back on some of these shows and some of those old shows they did and they had massive crowds. They were doing what AEW were doing now, um, but just terrible management decisions mean they can't do that anymore. They just started to get them out to that kind of level, but they're kind of, they're America's third wrestling company and always have been, <laughs> if that makes sense. Would you agree, Marcus, or am I being a bit mean? No, absolutely. You know, and I think it's a part of it, it's, it's an amalgamation of everything. You know, like you said, they were outliers. You know, they was they were scarecrows, you know, very much outstanding in their field. Shout out to Conan um, with that reference. But, you know, like you said, over the years, poor management decisions, it's like just bumbling affairs. And, you know, they literally look like Bambi on ice. You know, for a lot of it, and and then they, like you said, they slowly but surely have gotten back to a place of uh, credibility, and, and and they're getting back to you know having some some real good momentum. But in the midst of that, you know, something like AEW has come along, and they're like, uh, you know, if it, it, you know anybody that knows about Toy Story, you know, Impact is like Woody, and you know AEW is Buzz. You know? <laughs> toy on the block, the new shiny toy on the block with all the fancy buttons and gadgets and whatnot, and everybody kind of wants to play with that for right now you know so it's uh but it's 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 nice to see that they're sticking to their stride and they, they've gained a lot of their credibility back and you know i think this shows a great representation of, of you know what they've done and the respect that they still have not only you know with, with fans but in the industry you know yeah i think so this is uh what i find intriguing about this show is not only did they celebrate the great things about impact wrestling they managed to bring back some of the bloody awful things about Impact Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and, and God bless them, they stuck with it. They managed to just, oh, hell, we're doing this. Um, whether it's going to be good or in this show was either going to be good or it was going to be terrible. There was no in between. And some parts of it are awful, in my opinion. But some parts of it are just amazing. It makes up for it by a long way. I mean, the cage match users give it 8.43. We've just watched. Sorry, me and John, we haven't just well, we did just watch it because we watched it this morning. Uh, we've just talked about the the uh, Noah DDT TJPW Ganabray Super Show, which got seven point seven five, which much bigger names on it. So yeah, it's it was an intriguing Walter down memory lane, whilst offering something new and refreshing and keeping moving storyline forwards, with some surprising guest uh, appearances as well. So uh, yeah, we were in. The Asylum in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Tennessee West State Fairgrounds, where it all started 20 years ago. Um, and the opening match was an X-Division match. Mike Bailey, Ace Austin, Alex Zane, Andrea Everett, Kenny King, and Trey Miguel in the Ultimate X. I have a love-hate relationship with this match because it's exactly the kind of Ultimate match I dislike intensely. Having said that, this was one of the best ones I've seen. Uh, Andrew Everett, a long-time uh, uh, wrestler for Impact Wrestling a couple of years ago, came back to uh, stand in. Uh, I can't remember. Who did he stand in for? It's, lo it's lost on me. Who was supposed to be there? I want to say it was... Let's see, they got Mike Bailey. Um, was it... 
It's clearly made a like, massive impression on both of us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it escapes me at the moment because a couple changes happened on this uh, before this show. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it escapes me. It escapes me at the moment. But uh, was it Jack Evans? That's the one. Yes, of course. Jack Evans had just dropped out of um, contract with uh, AEW, hasn't he? That was it. Jack Evans. There you yeah. go. Let's let's say uh, yes. Jack's all right. He's a good wrestler. Um, actually, I'd have preferred to see Andrew Everett, so I'm glad he got the shout. So yeah, this was this was a solid and entertaining match, and sets things up nicely as Ace Austin was cost the Impact Championship by Alex Zane, but Mike Bailey won the title, which I think was an interesting switch. What was your thoughts on this one, Marcus? I constantly got to commend the X Division and these guys in Impact in particular for doing these matches. I said it before and I always got to, you know, say it like these matches could very much be like just a cluster F mm. every time. And these guys come together and they make this stuff look effortless and smooth. And, you know, like it's just absolutely second nature. And to do what they do, the way that they do it with the timing and the precision, it is not easy to do what they, you know, do. I mean, it's, this match is a, it's, it's a highlight reel, period. Um, and for you know, see Kenny King back in the SMX division action was great. Trey has really found his footing, I think, as a solo star, which has been cool to see. Andrew Ever, who definitely has um history with the company, uh, it's cool to see him back in there. Alex Zane, you know, has it's, it's been coming along and trying and making some strides in the X. And, and Mike Bailey, uh, you know, has been brilliant and it's been really great to see him, you know, mm. get some of his uh, logistical issues. And we know, you know, Ace Austin is, you know, uh, Ace Austin. So to, for these guys to do what they did in nine minutes and 50 seconds, again, it just shows why the excavation is a pillar in this company. And I think, you know, Mike Bader was, you know, surprised, but a, a bad choice because he is one of the best in the world. You know, and if, if people are, you know, just getting to witness him for the first time, you know, just sit back because the guy, the guy's brilliant, you know. So, oh, yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely I, awesome. You know, yeah, I think, I, think that was, I think that was a brilliant choice. My only thing with this match, again, is like you guys have been, like how long have some of you guys been around Impact or whatnot? Like nobody thought it was a good idea to wear gloves. You know what type of match this is. <laughs> that, that's just you know, a nitpick with me with the exhibition match because there's a constant story about potential sweat and slip. Of course the, there is. Yeah, with, which we, we talked about when we talked, I think we did the last show talking about the women doing the ultimate uh, yeah. X or what have you. But yeah, but it, like I said, this is a this is a human highlight reel, and I think Mike Bayless is a very interesting choice. And Good I will choice. say, I will say, arguably the greatest X Division champion of all time, AJ Styles, always wears gloves. Oh, absolutely, hands down. There you go. You see, that's that's the thing. Who also made an appearance at Slammiversary. WWE let him out the bag. To, to send a video to Impact Wrestling as one of Impact Wrestling's biggest stars, which was really cool of WWE because um, they don't do things like that very often. Um, so there you go. Uh, next up was for the uh, Impact, and it said IWGP, I wish it was, the Impact, <laughs> Impact Wrestling Knockouts Tag Team Championship. The influence Madison Rain to Neil Dashwood lost their championship to Rosemary and Taya Valkyrie in seven minutes and 20 seconds of a nicely told story. The story was Ty Valkyrie and Rosemary were a dominant tag team back in the day. Could they make it work again? And they did have some communication problems, but they got there in the end. Um, and Rosemary's been chasing these titles with... Um... Havoc. 
Havoc, that's it. It was been chasing the title with Havoc and not been able to get the job done. The change of partner has clearly brought success to uh, Rosemary and Taya Valkyrie, who looked supremely intense in this particular performance. Madison Rain and Teal Dash would have been excellent champions. They had that uh, uh, big feud earlier in the year. And uh, it's time to move on, I feel. And I think Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary, intriguing matchup. Of course, like we said last week, Taya Valkyrie came off of uh, Triple Mania with a challenge to Thunder Rose's AEW Women's Championship. Wins the tag title here. Can't win a match in the NWA. This this is the thing with the forbidden door. It swings both ways. <laughs> What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Oh, right there, which I loved it. Um, you know, uh, Madison Rain and Tennille have been interesting for me. Um, I'm kind of glad that uh, you know, the uh, the inspiration uh, was it the in- yeah the inspiration got about yeah. it because. Getting them confused on like the influence, the influence. I'm like, whose uninspired idea was to have these two, uh, <laughs> you know, both on the show and ain't that. Uh, but to be honest, I really wasn't clicking with either tag team. Um, but but I do, you know, like Tennille, and I think Madison. Obviously, she's she's a vet, and she basically has a revolving door in terms of you know her her linear her lineage when it comes to the, you know being an impact. So um, it's been cool to see her back in the mix. But um, I've been waiting for Rosemary to get gold again for a while. And uh, I thought when her and, her and Tiger first got together, I thought it was a very inspired choice. And I loved them together because for no other reason to see them clash of personalities. Also, they have history because I think when Ty originally debuted in Impact, you know, it was against Rosemary who she beat. So there was history history there with them beefing yeah. and tagging. And uh, I never really liked, I never liked Rosemary and Havoc. I think Havoc was a you know, uh, uh, add-on that you kind of just threw in felt like the K because they didn't have Nevaeh anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I, I never thought really her and Havoc clicked. I just think they had them together for a while, but I never thought it could touch the chemistry that her and Taya had. So to see them come back together, you know, after all that time, after that Zany storyline uh, that saw Havoc exit the company, um, I thought it was really cool. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, it's really been great to see this run that Taya's been having coming off of, her um, excursion in NXT. I think that's, so, that, uh, that's what we're calling it now. Um, Chris Charlton uh, described Alex Zane's uh, a career in the WWE as an excursion. Honestly. Yeah. But I think that's I think Chris has hit a nail on the head. Anyone who just comes out of WWE before they get to the main roster, it was an excursion. It was a learning curve for them. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so, like you said, Taya looks you know inspired. She looks happy. She looks you know voracious. She's winning, maybe not in NWA, like she said. <laughs> she's, she's killing it, and you know this is, you know this is what she's supposed to be doing. And I'm glad she's come back in Impact, and obviously they got to go. And I think they're a really great team. And this was this was a not a long match, but a good one. You know, I think I think I know what you mean about the inspiration, and the influence feud. I think I can understand what they were trying to do was the Midnight Express versus the Midnight Express from the 1980s, weren't they? Two very similar teams who do very similar things in a very similar way and even have a very similar name. And that kind of could have worked, but I think they were too close to each other for it to make it look different. Um, Inspiration of taking a break from professional wrestling at the moment. It's be interesting to see where they turn up next. But I thought they had a good run, but I think you're right. I think Rosemary and Taya, opposites attract. Styles make fights, and that's Good with tag teams as well, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up was a match genetically engineered to annoy me. Um, Sammy Callahan, <laughs> arguably my least favorite wrestler in Impact Wrestling, apart from Moose, wrestled Moose in a Monsters Ball match 
It lasted 16 minutes. Couldn't tell you what happened because I was just seething through most of it. It was all right. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, be the line of the show, genetically engineered. <laughs> just can't stand either of them. I know you like Moose. I know like John likes Sammy Callahan. Just can't stand either of them. Just no. That's that's that. There's just the three of us on a poster. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like outside of Moose, he's like raising the hand to Callahan, and, and, and James is in the middle just steaming. Like, <laughs> my, my, my podcast mates far more than these other two men, and I'm dealing with it right now. But, um, yeah, I, I like the little bits like they were starved for 24 hours, which was a bit much, really. The original Monsters Ball match was Abyss versus Jeff Hardy, I believe, and they did lock them in solitary confinement for 24 hours. You didn't go as far as seeing them in solitary confinement um, before the match started, which was which was kind of funny. I did like the bit where Moose grabbed a hot dog off a fan in the, in the row because he was hungry because he hadn't eaten anything to eat for a day. I thought that was funny. After that, it was just like, ah, oh, it's just another hardcore match, and it's like, it's okay. But I just, I just don't get these guys either of them, so it's just like, nope. No, I... Give some, give, <clears throat> but please feel free to give an opinion that's a bit more informed than mine. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, but I, I 100% get it, man. It's like, this stuff for, for you, um, these characters. Like, I guess that's the good thing about where they are as characters. You, there's no in-between with these cats. You're either with them or you're not. <laughs> like Callahan, but I think this particular match, and shout out to Abyss, um, mm. we forget him, but um, you know, he got a lot of shout outs on his show with this match in particular because he's another person that was very instrumental in, in those days uh, of putting TNA on the map with some you know great highlight matches and everything that man put his body through with these matches, um, you know, put on the show, like with you know, with Jeff Hardy specifically, AJ Styles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think these two were perfect for this scenario. I did really like, like you said, the, the, the start number before the match. I think that fits perfectly with their personality, specifically somebody as nuts as Callahan. Um, and then the character bits throughout the match was very physical as we, you know, come to expect. And, you know, I think somebody like Callahan, you know, who, <laughs> you know, definitely feel all you want to feel about the man. He is like definitely an ace protagonist. Hmm. And in situations like this, uh, specifically against somebody like Moose, and uh, obviously he's coming on a return, so the momentum was going to swing in his favor. Um, and the match was specifically violent, naturally. And uh, these two men, everybody on this show, you know, really put in the work. And this match was, uh, yeah, it was a hell of an affair. Callahan got the win, having to put Moose down with three of those power drivers, nonetheless. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely commend these these guys for this match, man. It's not uh, It's not easy. Not no, easy. absolutely not. I'm, I'm, yes, the, the effort they put in for, yeah, for what they did was amazing. Absolutely. Um, not the best monsters, but I think we've seen. Like, I'm still, like, literally, because uh, Jonah and PCO felt like a creature feature. So, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this was, this, was definitely, uh, this was definitely fun and worthy of what these two men have, have gotten to as characters. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing. I mean, I was like, playing catapults Callahan back into the main event scene after being off for more or less a year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Impact's been far more watchable without him, but they've got him under contract. They probably should use him. <laughs> uh, but that, that's just me. I don't, don't want to listen to everybody, but that's just this uh, shouty, shouty man. No, no, no. Growl, growl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on uh, to something I did enjoy. 
Um, Good Brothers, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson defeated the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, in an Impact World Tag Team title match. I'm not particularly keen on the idea of the Good Brothers on the tag titles again. However, this was a lot better than the match they had at the Multiverse show at WrestleMania weekend when, to be honest, Jay and, Jay and Mark were kind of like stealing themselves for the fact that FDR were next. I think they wrestled FDR after they wrestled the Brist, did they wrestle Good Brothers after FDR or was it FDR first? No, they had they had to do it after and it felt like yeah. that, it felt like that year when uh Triple H <laughs> and, and Randy Orton did all that stuff with the history of the feud and all the kicking all the McMahons yeah. on the WrestleMania and have to follow the first Sean and take a match. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, well, we've turned up. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's like, oh. but this actually, they went for it. And like, you know, the Briscoes, honest to God, the Briscoes could have curled up and died this year. Their home's gone. They're not going to get a shot in the new Ring of Honor because. To be blunt, they're a bit toxic still after comments Jay made like eight years ago, but are still traceable for a corporate wrestling organization like AEW. They're kind of, they stuff themselves right royally. But I thought at the, the, the time it didn't really matter because it was just like they were only ever going to work for Ring of Honor because WWE were never going to touch them with the badge pole because they told them they weren't and they didn't want to work there. So it was like you could have said the, the Briscoes could have just like called it a day. And they've had a renaissance year. They've been one of the best tag teams in the world. I, we still don't agree with their politics, most of us, on this particular show. But, you know, they don't really talk about that stuff anymore. And they concentrate on being wrestlers. And they don't get go beyond social media. And congratulations to Mark for having another child. Um, and that's kind of, you know, performances last li- like this. Winning the Crockett Cup. There are performances in the NWA. Tag team title run with GCW has been exceptional. And I'd like to point out something that doesn't, you know, Jay probably was a bit homophobic back in the day, but they lost the GCW tag team titles to Effie and Alley Cat, the gayest tag team on earth, let's be honest, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that was right on, and they did a good job. They did business properly, um, as they should, because they're professional wrestlers. And I think, you know, the Good Brothers... Are the good brothers looking on top again? They look like the good brothers of old in New Japan Pro Wrestling when they turned up at Pro Wrestling Dong Taku and beat up Tamatonga. It's like, here we go again. This is a tag team you to be reckoned with. Africa, do they really phoned it in? I think is probably the best way of saying it. Since they turned up in Impact, they haven't done anything outstanding. They've been all right. But in my opinion, they're kind of like swinging for the fences again. And this was a match that kind of showed that it wasn't the best match they've had because neither of them at their peak. But if they had another go, I think it would be something spectacular. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? No, man, I'm, I'm glad you went first because it's, it's it's tweaked my uh, outlook on it a bit. I mean, I don't. I mean, like you with the last match, mm. I didn't have a dog in this fight. Yeah, you know, um, nothing. I mean, absolute respect for both of these teams. These two are the best, certainly. Yeah, and, yeah. With the Briscoes, they're in an interesting position going off what you said about. Um, them not having a home and probably not really, you know, being affiliated with it anymore. It puts them in a unique position to like not have to, but like reprove themselves. Like, let us remind you just into who the hell we are in case you've missed it for the past how many years. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 really cool because they haven't lost that zest or that zeal, you know, to go out there and do what they, you know, they've always done. It's just been in Ring of Honor and, and kudos to them. Because like I said, 
more than anybody, I expected them to retire in the Ring of Honor, but now that's no longer an option. Um, certainly not in, in that traditional sense. So they're really having the, they're, they're, they're getting pushed in the creative space. And then also the, what you were saying, you know, um, obviously people think one way and, and, and hopefully, you know, they get information, new information is presented and they, you know, make the ability to change to a more uh, righteous, if you will, uh, yeah. thought, you know, saying the word righteous with everything that's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's how it almost comes off like an extremely subjective concept. But I, um, so hopefully, you know, they they have made that change, particularly Jay, and you know, they they're in, you know, hopefully better positions both professionally and personally for it. So when it came to this match, you know, like I said, I didn't have a dog in this fight, but I respect both teams and hope they was going out there and kill it, and they did. Um, and you know, again, to you know, the good buzzer credit into your point. Uh, and I'm glad you kind of brought up them kind of phoning it in and kind of because like I, I've always said, like since they come to Impact, they felt like an AEW team that just didn't need <laughs> to be in AEW. And it's almost felt like they phoned it in because they felt like, like, oh, if we would have just held out a little bit longer, we could have went over there. Yeah. Because, well, you know, the whole thing was with AJ and it, you know. But that fell through because I don't know what, what all went on with Heyman, but that fell through and it had to kind of come to Impact and, you know, they wasn't outright sucking uh, up the joint, but, you know, they, they wasn't trying to go any extra miles either. So, you know, when they were tag champs, it just felt like the belts were being held. Um, and while I don't necessarily like the, the, the championships being on people who are not signed, signed with the company, it, it did feel cool for the Briscoes yeah. coming. Felt like they put more respect on the tag titles' names than the guys who were actually signed. Yeah. <laughs> It felt like they were waiting for a call from New Japan Pro Wrestling for their first tag title run. In fact, the first two tag title runs, it felt like they were going, well, New Japan going to call any day. Ghetto's going to want us to do something, so we're not really going to try very hard because we're saving ourselves for those big, long matches we're going to have. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But it, it very, very much felt like the transition from, like, this is what Kenny Omega looks like, uh, does with the Impact World title versus what Christian Cage came back and did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, title, but uh, yeah, like like I said, um, not necessarily like I said, didn't handle dog in this fight. It's back on the Good Brothers. I think a lot of that has to do with the the current Bullet Club momentum that we're seeing all over. <laughs> really, uh, you know, it, it, you know, anybody that's looking forward to the G one, you finna get it all summer. <laughs> you finna oh get it yeah, for <laughs> summer. Uh, and obviously tonight, um, going into that um, Forbidden Door show. But uh, yeah, this was a solid match and. I think again another highlight you know um after the match we got the return of a classic uh vintage uh impact team and i'm gonna let you take that away okay well yeah so there is forbidden door tonight we're recording this on sunday because you're listening to this on monday um so far we have an epic review queue i believe marcus you said you'd be available for it and alex watt is going to come and join us as well yeah, it's been a that that is a true pending trifecta that we've not had for some time. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I see. I'll see if we can get John involved as well. We might have too many voices. It'll take us three hours to review a show, and we'll nitpick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we should have some cool voices to talk about the show next week. Uh, anywho, next up we had well, let's be blunt, a bunch of middle-aged men who should know better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before, yeah. Oh, real quick, A A W A came out. Yes. 
Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, uh, Frankie Kazarian of AEW, Nick Aldis of the A of the uh, NWA, reformed as the Impact Originals, and uh, they needed some help because they were one man down, and the person they got to come and save them was, of course, Davy Richards. As they went up against On and No More, Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, PCO, and Vincent, along with Maria Kellis Bennett, Kellis Bennett. We had Tracy Books in this match. We had Hell Hebner in this match. It was this was this was everything could go wrong, and it didn't. And it ended up being brilliant because it could have been terrible, but it wasn't. And I was really enjoyed this match for what it was, which I think was uh, an excellent way of showcasing the the elements of TNA that we all think perhaps sometimes they shouldn't bother with, but they did it in the right way. And it was nice to see, you know, um, the guys in Animal More doing some cool stuff that was kind of ringer ornery and kind of saying, hey, you know, we're still here doing our things that they used to do. And it was a nice balance. And uh, yeah, it, it, obviously you had the heat between Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards. Obviously Davey left Impact Wrestling as a heel when he was beaten by Eddie a couple of years ago, went off... Um, to become or started training as a doctor because uh, he's actually a trained ambulance driver, believe it or not, um, and has come back to wrestling after a couple of years at medical school. Um, and he's been he's a contracted signed to MLW, but they got him back for this particular show. <clears throat> and he was kind of the perfect guy for the for the thing. I really enjoyed it. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, in the, in the corner of uh, coming out of the heels of the last match, they had you know James Storm come out with Chris Harris. Um, in AMW uh, to, to give a toast to the tag teams of the past, present, and future. Um, and to follow that up with Dixie Carter, of all people. <laughs> uh, That's which, it, yes. I forgot to mention that. Yes, of course, uh, Cowboy James Storm and Chris Harris, America's Most Wanted, came down. That was ace to see them. And they we had a bit of a break of kayfabe as uh, the, the tag team champions and former so, champions shared a beer. Yeah, it was absolutely. It was like you said. It was it was ace, man. It was brilliant. And shout out to James Storm. Like you said, like twenty years we still here. You think otherwise? Sorry about your damn luck. It's great. <laughs> and to follow that with Dixie, and and shout out to Dixie, man. You know, even with everything that happened during her uh, particular reign, if you will. Um, you know, you sometimes you can do a lot of the wrong things with the best intentions, but I never question her intentions with the company. Um. Just, you know, decisions were made and, and fumbles were done. Uh, but she, she too, has literally put her body on the line for the company. She has, yes. You know, so kudos to her. And, uh, you know, she she returns at a time where I would assume that the company is act genuinely cash flow positive. And uh, to bringing out, you know, David Richards, of all people, which they didn't think we were going to get. You know, all the dominoes, I think, were lined up for it, but you never know. You know, so to get him back at a time where Eddie is at his peak illness right yeah. now, I think I think was brilliant. I've I've been loving everything they've been doing with Honor No More. I think it's been, you know, that group has really been clicking. And to get these, you know, to get, you know, the guns with the wolves, uh, in in some form of fashion, Frankie back, which Frankie is like, hey, they're not really doing nothing with me in AEW. I'm gonna just hop on over here. It <laughs> <laughs> can't lament. We got Magnus back in a way. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think Chris Daniels and Frankie Kazarian can do what they like, 
I think yeah. that's their contract with AEW. Like Chris Daniels turns up in DDT in Japan <laughs> every once in a while and goes, hey, you know what? We work with AEW now. Yay! <laughs> ah, it's, it's brilliant. It's, uh... I've got a weekend off. Let's go work some indie shows in California. It's just like, yeah, I think Frankie and Chris are just like, yeah, we can do what we like. <laughs> it was great and great to see Tracy at ringside, you know, uh, you know, former knockout and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, cool to see her. And but yeah, I mean if I was Frankie and I had to, you know, go back and forth with everything he was involved in and if I could get away from Frank uh Dan Lambert, I would too. Uh, just, <laughs> just, you know, this thing. But yeah, this was this was a great showing, man. Again, stuff like this could obviously end up in a cluster. It didn't. Nothing but professionals, grace moments had to stand off between uh, Davey and Eddie, which I hope they are able to further, you know, in, in these coming weeks or months. I have a long they can, you know, keep Davey. I know he's doing great stuff with uh, MWA. So, um, you know, it was great. And then, you know, to top, again, to top off another good outing like the last match, it, it, it capped off with a great moment for the Hebners, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's true. On a, on a weekend where they needed a great moment. Uh, unfortunately, David Hebner, uh, twin brother of Earl Hebner, passed away um, yes. on the weekend of Slammiversary last weekend, uh, as did Tim White, uh, former WWE referee and, um, what's the word, handler of Andre the Giant, legendary wrestling figure, did an awful lot for looking after Andre yeah. down the years. Um, yeah, no. Sorry, Marcus. No, I was uh, I was gonna say this was also uh, big for for Baby Hebner, if you will, because I think yeah. he's about to retire. So, <laughs> just a culmination of emotions. But it was great to see because that was another father son pairing that that we get to see in wrestling. And uh, you those those two have been very much simpatico with the company for years now. Yeah. You know, for them to have not only that moment with all the, the, the obviously the obvious emotion with that, but to you know, to, to cap off such a, a long career with the company, I thought was just, like I said, everything, like you said, everything could have went wrong with this, and it didn't. No, it was perfect. Maria Canales Bennett is one of the premier bump takers in women's management. My Bennett and uh, my Bennett and um, Matt Taven are an excellent tag team as uh, the OGK. And, you know, PCO did all the bumps that you want him to do. Vincent is an exceptional professional wrestler and he was just the right person to be in this match because he's kind of a glue guy and can hold things together. You know, you had the Motor City Machine Guns back against the OGK. What a great tag team feud that would be. There's so much going on with this particular match. You know, it brings back so many emotions like also Kushida re-signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling last weekend. At the same time, you got a contract between Impact Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling could we see the long-awaited, never-seen-before machine guns, time splitters, menage a trois, oh, pardon the expression, between Kushida, Alex Shelley, and Chris Saban? Because they've never had a six-man match, even though they've talked about it for God knows how long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this, you know, a long time, true opinion listeners will know, you know, aside from being, like, I think Okada's biggest fan, James is also, like, the third member of the time splitters. So, <laughs> and, and right... Rightfully so. Yeah. I love me some Motor City Machine Guns. I love me some Time Splitters. And I have argued in the past that I think the Time Splitters might be slightly better than the Motor City Machine Guns, but people hate me for that, so I don't say it very often. <laughs> it's funny because when we were first, uh, you know, uh, becoming acquainted, that was something that you brought up to me 
when we were still writing for uh, Russell Talk. So, <laughs> he brought it up. I'm like, the time spiller? What are you talking about? I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but, well, I guess we might find out now. People are free to roam and do things. Yeah. Um, Kushida said he wants his career. His, his career goal now is to live in Los Angeles and wrestle for a living. That's pretty much it. And if it's going to have to be in New Japan, he's going to do it in New Japan. Yeah, I mean that's that you know that could be that's a hell of a commute, but uh you know um if you finally in a position to actually do you know stuff that you dreamed of and obviously coming off his excursion, uh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> so that's a way of putting it. Um, yeah, and him to getting to doing doing what he did. I mean, it was you know the Twitter lit up when it happened, and it was just so great to see. And the fact that you know somebody pointed out like he returned against the guy that. You know the the history with not only him in the junior division, but him and and, and Taiji, uh, yeah. and all that is just it, it's brilliant. I can't wait to see what he does. But yeah. uh, yeah, just the potential for all these things to collide, and you know, as we're talking about it, like you know, Impact stacked with women and 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 you know, it's division performers, but they got a sleeper division of tag teams as well. That's oh, killing. Oh yeah, that's so. it. Absolutely, it's going to be insane. You know, in this coming year, they can do so much with the talent that they've got. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that was the interesting thing. Like when Kushida left, Taiji Ishimori was IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Three years later, he comes back, and Taiji Ishimori is IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> it seems like nothing's changed. The only issue is Hiromu and Desperado are bigger stars than Kushida ever was, so he's going to have to pedal real hard to keep up, and that I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> seems nuts when you look at the place he got to yeah. before he left. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's like Despy's like nearly as big as Hiromu now. And it's only happened within the last 18 months, but he wants to be a star and he's a star. And him and Hiromu are killing that division. They are dragging that division along by the scruff of its neck. With, <clears throat> and with, it's, yeah, it's just a sight it seems, to see. Seems weird because, like you said, it's they, you know, he's coming to his own you know, for the last 18 months, but it's felt like we've been talking about the fact that he's basically been on precipice of that for the last, like, three or four years. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's just in a position, again, in a faction where it's like, do you see who else is around him? So for him yeah. to be out like that. And then now that he has to bring back in another one of the, the you know, the X Division shining, I mean, the uh, junior shining stars, um, which, which is weird. Like, as hot as Kushida got in New Japan is as how much he cooled off when he left. Yeah, that's the which thing. It's which, just, yeah. That's, to your point about the climb, which almost makes it more interesting because, you know, now he has to, you know, almost kind of go back through the gamut of guys that he seemingly conquered back then, but these aren't the same guys. Not even Hiromu, you know, no. the same person. So, you know. No, that's it. And it's like, it, I want to see Despi and Kushida again. That's that's going now. That's 25 minutes. That's the best of Super Juniors final. That's just going to be amazing. But you know, dream matches aside, it's there's a there's a whole slew of new stories he can tell because he's not the same wrestler he was before, and nobody else is either. But we should talk about Impact Wrestling because that's where we are. Next up was arguably the worst idea Jeff Jarrett ever had, <laughs> which was the King of the Mountain match, which was the first ever queen of the mountain match where the women uh, had the opportunity to wrestle look honestly if you have to have two pages to explain how a match is going to work maybe you shouldn't be having that match um i'm just saying and the king of the mountain match is the most convoluted 
asinine, straight out of Memphis hellscape, I can possibly imagine. Um, but for some reason, this one worked, and I enjoyed it for what it was. 7.5 from the Cage Match users, they enjoyed it too. It wasn't just me. I normally hate these things, and they haven't had one for a very long time. In fact, I think the last time they had one was when Jeff Jarrett was in the company just before the GWF run started, and it was it might have been Slammiversary 15 when he was trying his comeback for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, and that was the last time I saw one. I don't think they've had one since because they are generally terrible. Um, but sometimes they click and sometimes they're right. And it's like I kind of got lost in this one. But it's got like, you know, I love Jordan Grace. I love Tiona Perazzo. I love Maya Yim. I love Tasha Steeles. I even like Chelsea Green. So I wasn't going to be disappointed because all five can go. And they went. And that's all I can say about it, really. It was pretty damn good, even though the concept is bloody awful. Marcus, your thoughts? I love the knockoffs, man. Yeah. I love the knockoffs, man. These women, these women are brilliant. These women are superbly talented. These women are still very much the, you know, standing pillar of this company as it's as it, you know, builds off of all the momentum it's it's garnered. Um you know, a lot of great stuff on this show. Um, but I mean, but to, to, to me, the, 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 they're the MVPs. They went out there and killed it. Uh, felt like they killed themselves at certain points. Luckily, everybody walked away cool. Um, you know, obviously, Tasha's been having her run and showing her mocks, and she had, uh, you know, some backup in this match. Uh, Deanna, I feel like she's been the, un, you know, unsaid queen of the mountain for a while now with everything that she's done over the stretch of, you know, these last few years. Mia Yim's come back. Hot hand off for an excursion. Um, hot hand, obviously. And Jordan Grace has been there for a while. It's felt like she's meddled for a while. But, you know, now after this match, she's back on top. Um, but I feel like she had, she's not had that title since, what, Tessa left? Yeah, yeah. So that, that lets you know that's been a stretch. So to finally get her back in this space, I think, is inspired. I mean, to say that, Jordan Grace is as young as she is in the shape that she is, and she has evolved into better shape. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, which is another uh, contributing factor. I think, I, like Mike Baylor, this was another great inspired choice. Obviously, you know, I, I love Tasha, and I think she's been, you know, giving it 110% with this reign, but, you know, stuff happens. And I think this is the perfect match to, to give it to somebody like Grace. Um, because of just the cluster of it all. Um, but again, much like that X Division match that kicked off the show, this could have went another way, and it was brilliant. You had Mia give a shout-out to Shelton, who the two of them had one of the best relationships <laughs> with the dog on the, the, the freaking ladder run that she did, and the dive outside, it was brilliant. Obviously, Mickey, uh, shout-out to Mickey Jane, she got involved in this being a special, uh, you know, hardcore country enforcer. Uh, but yeah, you know, we don't see a lot of King and Queen of the Mountains. Uh, and this this followed the continuing trend of making uh, it normal for, for them, the, the knockouts, to do the same stuff the men do. Uh, but, yeah. you know, normalize it. But this, this match is still convoluted uh, to, the, to, the, to the, you know, point of, um, you know, I think, you know, Jordan was supposed to hang the belt and it was like a little kerfuffle, but who's going to? argue with you know no no ref is going to go back and forth with Jordan and Grace no but, um, I mean, but that's the trouble is like the the how was it on the it was commentary it was um Tom Hannafin he goes 
she has to clip the belt to the cat to the to the hook yeah. in the ceiling, and then she doesn't, and she wins the match anyway. It's like, yeah. it's, well, uh, somebody didn't communicate that to anyone. He did that exactly. exactly like earlier, like the, the kick off the show. Bailey was technically supposed to drop to the floor. Yeah, that was another one. That but was he, yeah. But he was like, no, I got to get this. This shot is better than the match concept. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like the referee called it, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it, it's just like. Yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> sticking points with me and Jane because it's like we, you know, if you're gonna do a specialty match, at least stick to the whole concept. But again, yeah. you it's know. a massively convoluted concept. It is like it's like watching death matches in BJW when they spend five minutes laying out bricks perfectly so people can land on them. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody's landing on bricks, I want them to be safe. Or I want you to ask the question, why do you have to lay the bricks out to start with during the match? <laughs> it's, it's, it's nuts. I used to stay away from those death matches. It's this other part of the <laughs> penny team that, that specialize in that is just not my thing. No. Uh, but yeah, just shout out to these women, man. Like I say, they held nothing back. Insane, not not the biggest Chelsea Green fan, but you know, can't take anything away from her. That insane table spot that she took with Deanna. Oh yeah, that was and, cool. and none of these women have to do any of this stuff, but they do it uh, because, you know, they, they want to continue that, that knockout tradition of like, hey, we can steal the show just as well as the men, if not better. So, you I know. Would, I mean, I, I, I've said this many times. The reason why you watch Impact Wrestling is for the women. You know, the men's divisions are all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tag, exactly. Ta tag teams are pretty good. Yeah. Women's is world class. And it's a yeah. tight little small, like nearly all the women in the company were well, yeah, all the women in the company were represented on this show, I think. Maybe one or two that weren't. Alicia Edwards, maybe. Uh, yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't on this show. But, like, his strength in depth, you know, the AW female roster is a lot, lot bigger, but it hasn't got the talent depth. It's got about four or five women, six women in the AW roster who are this good, whereas these were all that good. And, and talk about that, that forbidden door for a second when you mentioned AEW. If we could mm. just find a way to squeeze Allie back yeah. in there. Because Jesus Christ, y'all. <laughs> she's, she's injured at the moment, though. So she, could, she couldn't. Oh, but yeah, it would be excellent if you could. And that's yeah. the thing. It is like, you know, there, there is money to be made between Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo and even Chelsea Green and Tasha Steeles against... Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa and Hakira Shida and a bunch of women. You know, yeah. people will pay to see that. That's that's money matches you are passing up if you do not take that opportunity. I know Impact and AW kind of off at the moment, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think they're off off. I think they're just like taking a break from one another because so you don't like drown one and out. Yeah. But I think yeah, I think there's things that could be done. We'll see anyway. Absolutely, money be made. But it's good to see you know Jordan. Uh, she she looks walks. She got definitely, definitely a, a champion, you know. Yeah. So now she's got the title to, to go with it, you know. Yeah. Um, noticeable by his absence, though he did say, uh, mess, passed a message along with Samoa Joe. He wasn't included in the celebrations. But the most, the biggest elephant in the room who wasn't included in the celebrations was, of course, Jeff Jarrett, who started the company. And he wasn't at this show. Or certainly he was acknowledged plenty of times, but he didn't make a physical yeah. appearance at the show. Yeah, absolutely. We got we got a lot of call-ins and, and, you know, uh, you know, they got highlight packages from Mike Tanay, the brilliant Mike Tanay and Don yeah. West. That, that classic one-two punch, Mike Tanay and Don West. You, you, you can't talk about the, the history without talking about them. Um, I want to I wanna save, 
some some form of bull rash was felt throughout the show because you can't mention <laughs> he was, I mean, he was literally the Swiss Army knife for the company at one point um, in a lot of ways. Um, but we got a call in from Kurt Angle, which was great. And like you said at the top of the show, you know, it, it felt like the 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 um, video message from AJ Styles stole the show because it's, it's something that we felt was absolutely necessary that we wouldn't get because obviously, you know, uh, he's in Pettyville. You yeah. know, I'm wondering. I wonder if that Mickey James appearance at the Royal Rumble had something to do with it. You know, I mean, that that's an interesting point. You know, I, it's hard to lend credibility on WWE's into that long-term of booking, but it might have. Um, I think, I mean, because I think if you look back at um, uh, in his, the annals of history, Ric Flair was inducted into the Hall of Fame yeah. as the full horseman whilst he was in TNA. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the payoff of that was K, Christian Cage coming to do an appearance on, uh, uh, there was a anniversary show, wasn't it? No, absolutely. You know, you're right. And I think that, like you said, that might have that might have paid uh, dividends towards, you know, um, goodwill, if you will. Yeah. Because uh, not like he had to show up. He just sent in a video message. But it was it was heartfelt and it was cool to see um, him do that and talk about the X Division. Because like you said, he's the king in that regard. But it's like, I mean, AJ Styles is the reason why I started watching. Uh, yeah. team. You know, I was a WWE head in middle school and my, and my, my, my friend, uh, just kept talking about this guy and, and, and you know, Tennis A.D. Styles guy. And I'm like, there can't be possibly anybody better outside of WWE. And then, thankfully, I was proven wrong, you know. So, mm-hmm. to see him, you know, get that miss, I think it meant a lot to Impact Faithful. So, that was cool to see. Yeah. We also had an appearance from D.Lo Brown, who appeared in the uh, Honor Memorial Impact Originals tag match to come help out the Impact Originals, dressed in his aces and eight outfit. Dragging, dragging what the whatever le- is left of the corpse, <laughs> of the <laughs> spirit, dragging in the spirit of whatever is left of the corpse of Aces. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, and Mr. I mean, they did celebrate the stuff that was dreadful as well. So there you go. Um, then we got to a world title match. It was the Impact World Title. Josh Alexander defeated Eric Young, who came along with Dina and Joe Deering from uh, Violent by Design. Eighteen minutes and fifty seconds. On a match that I liked, but I found was too sentimental in the sense that there was far too many callbacks to Ghost Pass. I don't mind it every once in a while, but the final run of this match, there was like, oh, there's a Styles Clash. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was wait. I was like, oh, someone's going to do a Styles Clash because it was predictable, and it yeah. was it was nice, but it was a bit much. You know, it's like. The reason why you're having this certain match is because you've got Eric Young, the Impact original, guy who's been there from day one, main event player, a guy who grew up in the company and became one of the biggest wrestling stars in North America because of Impact Wrestling against the young up-and-coming champion. He needs to go over with a clean finish and a strong win. And it became not about that, which I did not like. But I did like the actual match, if that makes sense. I don't want to knock the match because I thought the match was really good. But there's bits of the storytelling I didn't like. No, absolutely, and I, and I get it, and I was definitely interested in, in hearing your, you know, take on it because uh, I guess the only thing I could liken it to, and and perhaps, and you would know this because obviously you watched it and covered it, but I think maybe the better form of this was uh, years ago in that G1 final between Omega and Goto. Yeah, 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 definitely. That, that I think that was it. I think that was the inspiration behind this match, and you know, ELP does it as a joke. Or he was doing it as a joke, as a as a wind up of uh, Kenny Omega, 
you know, and he was doing as he did uh, Styles Clash and he did a one-wing, well, he never was able to hit the one-winged angel. He was trying to tell a story like that. And this was a bit too much of that, you know, and it's like, um, I, the, I can't remember the showrunner, the original showrunner for the new Doctor Who um, hated writing stories that involved um, the old Doctors. They do it every once in a while, like on an anniversary show, they'll get an old Doctor back into the show. But he hated it because it's not telling the story of the current Doctor. It's not moving things forward. It's wallowing in nostalgia yeah. and not moving you forward. And he didn't like it because he thought it was cheap storytelling. And I think this kind of got into that territory. Yeah, it, it's 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 what yeah it's it's like what we see now sometimes with these comic book movies where cameos in them become yeah. the individual movie itself, and so it mostly it, it works a lot of times financially because fans eat that stuff up. Mm. Uh, but you know, like you said, and it's funny these are two Canada Canada boys too. Yeah, yeah, that's so, it. It, it. With Scott Demore on commentary, <laughs> playing into it. I mean, you know, you was looking at at a time where a lot of people's looking like y'all put the belt on Eric Young, which, to be fair, is like coming off of what Magnus had done, like Eric Young was <laughs> felt inspired with everything that went <laughs> with, uh, with, with Magnus's run. And the guy was like, he looked like something out of Doug Dynasty, but he had like two, three TV shows at the time. Oh, yeah, he was hot. He, and he, he was all I, over Discovery. I mean, he was on, on. So... You know, Eric Young is certainly another one of the pillars in the company. Like you said, Josh is up and coming. And, and Eric can always put on a banger match. And with somebody like Josh, it was a great match. But like you said, it did kind of feel like there was a mandate of like, okay, whoever we can't get on the show, like <laughs> or in video, is the moves y'all have to do in the match. Yeah. I uh, mean, J Jordan Grace got a muscle buster in her match to say thank you to Samoa Joe. And that's a nice, neat little thing. But yeah. when one wrestler's doing four moves and another wrestler's doing another four moves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, Ooh. yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, it's almost like another, I guess, better version of it. I can't believe I'm finna pay these two a compliment. When um, Cardona and... <laughs> um, why am I blanking on his name? Cardona and... Uh, Aldis? No, Dick Murdoch. No, sorry, no, Trevor Murdoch, not Dick Murdoch. Uh, not, not Gage. Yeah, his his former tag team partner Curtis Hawkins. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when they did their their tribute to Edge and Christian during their matches, that felt like a more um, natural thing, and it was great. Yeah. Uh, that actually was a, a quality match. But here, it, it got it got like it it became the narrative towards the end of the match. Obviously, it ended a certain way. Um, in, in a cool way, but that was that was even uh, precipitated by Joe's corner Uranagi, which yeah. was great, and which I wouldn't be taking on that wood. But again, you know, you don't hold back on these shows. But yeah, um, this was this was this was a this was a fine match, and as long as we've been talking about Impact to get a world title match without an F finish, yeah. Also, it's it's also like you almost have that <laughs> star to it. You know, because we've had some historically bad, you know, world title match finishes. We have. I mean, Magnus's reign, none of it was Nick Aldis's fault. And Nick yes. Aldis has gone on record as saying, like, the writers are going, we're really sorry, but we have to do this. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 yeah. you don't. 
<laughs> and, and God bless him because he did what all they said. But that whole thing was that doing that big John Gabor stage that they, you know, the company. Yeah, went it was that. That was the um, oh, we can't have you beating Samoa Joe clean in a cage match. <laughs> yeah, it was. Then why put him in a cage match? Like, do you do you know? Like, first of all, you you. I think I want to say he beat Joe. Oh, he did. It was Abyss came through the ring. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's oh, a, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, we, that's, we yeah. It, yeah. So in some form or fashion, Joe is still down there, and in that van that he got kidnapped in. But um, yeah, I mean, like, it was just bad because it's like we literally saw Nick go from scratch to where he got to. I'm like. I mean, Dixie picked him like they like how like WWE used to pick divas. Yeah, Thoroughbred so Racers. He saw him like I guess got Molly turned on and and they hired him, <laughs> and it's like to see him go from where he was, uh, as a as a gladiator character, literally coming off of that show, I think. Yeah. The transition yeah. to where he was and and then get the belt and then to have the, the unfortunate running he had it sucked and I think for a lot of time he held resentment for that. Which is why there was not a lot of, you know, I guess simpatico in terms of, you know, talking about his time and impact because that last part run of it was just so suck. But it was cool to see him come back and acknowledge that he wouldn't be where he is right now yeah. had he got the run that he he had an impact even with how it ended. So that was that was good and, and kudos, you know, guys. Like you said, you know, we could have got another form of this match, but. Ultimately, this match was a, you know, this match and this show was an overall tribute to the past, present, and the future. And I think, you know, even with the gripes of this show, that, you know, it achieved that. Yeah, definitely. I think this was, we don't want to rag on the main event match because it was really good. It was just elements of it that I think both of us would go, mm, it's a bit cringe. You could do that a bit differently. There's things you could do here. Um, but yeah. Anywho, what's your thoughts on the overall arc of the show, sir? I really dig it. I mean, I think they've had a a hell of a year shows. Whether they have been those uh the, the those weekend Saturday shows or the actual pay per views, I think they've you know been building up a lot of momentum with these these shows. And I've all always appreciate when they do their pay per views, you know, right. You know, so um, twenty years is a huge deal for this company with everything that's that's encompassed that twenty years. So for them to get to this, and it really felt like, and we even got you know Christy Hemi back. Yeah, uh, and stuff like that. So that was great to see. Um, so for everybody to come back to this show, it really felt like everybody was genuinely invested in making this show the best they possibly could and celebrating, you know, that 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 twenty uh, milestone. It was just great, and I one hundred percent agree with the rating. I think you said uh, overall that it got uh, because you you know this is this is the staple of the company. Uh, obviously, the, the you know the BF uh, Bound for Glory is kind of like their WrestleMania of it all, but Slammiversary. You know, I think it's is you know the, the special one. So to see them pull this off the way that they did, um, you know, is it is commendable, and it, it it was really great to see as a long time Impact fan. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It was it was nice to come back to it. And I'm not the the diehard Impact fan I was eight years ago when we started this particular show. Um, just because there's too much wrestling to watch. <laughs> there just is. But, like, but, like, like, no, it's like, it's, it's literally not personal, but it's personal. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's like, I had to watch nine hours of wrestling to review two shows for this show. That was, that was it's, four it's, companies over nine hours to do a two hour podcast. 
funny because like I said before, to me, you're like you're like the uh, one of the certainly uh, wrestling encyclopedias. So for yeah. you to pile on all that information you already have with all these shows, yeah, it's it's, it's a, you know it's it's a bit it's, much. That's it. I think this is the, this is the thing. It's just like you know when I was younger and it was harder work and I don't want to be one of those fans in my day. <laughs> I don't. But I'm looking, I'm sat in my front room. And in my front room, well, I'm in my dining room as it is. I've changed, converted to a dining room. And in my dining room, there's a walk-in closet. And it's full of old wrestling videos from the 1980s that me and my dad and my mum found on market stalls and second-hand shops because we had to go look for the wrestling we wanted to watch because it just wasn't available. And then you could watch everything because you had time to watch everything. Yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't, you know, it, look at, let's just look at Japan alone by itself you know there's a show from tjpw there's a show from noah there's a show from ddt there's a show from uh gana bray there's a, that's wrestle universe there's be four shows this week for them probably there's a show from gleet that both of me and you have probably yet to watch because it has happened during the week that's that's five there's there was a couple of new japan shows this week there was an old japan show this week if you wanted to go find it um uh, and there was probably about another four indie shows if you want to do. So that's 13 pay-per-view length shows you could watch in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Before you get to three hours of Monday Night Raw, two hours of SmackDown, two hours of NXT, uh, to an hour of NXT UK, Impact Wrestling for two hours, uh, AEW show on a Wednesday that's two, two hours long and another one that's an hour and a half long on a Friday. And then you know, uh, then there's probably a bunch of shows that European Indies can do that you can find on YouTube. There is, you could literally sit and watch wrestling all day long and never tire of watching, never, never watch the same wrestlers twice, probably. Dad, Dad will never watch any other type of television program, which is, which yeah. is, because there's equally as many, uh, you know, new shows and, and stuff coming out. So it's, it's nuts. I feel like just you alone deserve a slammy. For wrestling, <laughs> just for you to cover everything that you do, just on the foreign side alone, let alone getting to anything in America, it's it's great. But you try to keep abreast of everything because, I mean, it's it's a brilliant problem to have because you know you came up in a time where you know it, it wasn't necessarily like this at all. No. no. Um, so to be at a time where say if you're not a wrestling fan now, you're not a wrestling fan. You just no. it's not you because there's literally something for everybody there absolutely is if you, you just have to go find it and it's not that hard to find it's a credit card and an internet connection away from you absolutely that's it you know it, it's really not that hard to find I and mean, i mean like you found Glate when i asked you to review a show and you've just clicked with it and it's become a promotion you really enjoy and you know and it's like i wouldn't have kind of put you as a Glate guy but you really enjoy it because it's got all the things you actually enjoy it's got straightforward wrestling cool promos it's got big production mix of men and women and people trying really hard to put on a great show and it's like and it's like if i can get you into glate <laughs> then you can anybody can find any wrestling they like they just have to go look for it and it's that's the thing that's that's the great problem we have is that there probably is too much wrestling, but you don't have to watch all of it. Just watch the cool stuff that you enjoy. And don't listen to anybody else either. Don't listen to us. If you don't like what we say, that's fine. <laughs> Just go enjoy the wrestling you enjoy. You know, this is, this is the thing. Don't worry about star ratings. Don't worry about the cool thing. Worry about, do I enjoy this show? 
if you enjoy the show, then watch more of that company or go find something else they've done and go back and watch that and support wrestlers who do wrestling well. And I think Absolutely. we'll all be happy. But there you yes. go. Oh, that's my rant for the day. Anyway, thank you very much, Marcus, for joining us today. Where can we find you on the internet? No, man, thank you. Uh, always a pleasure. You can find me at, on Twitter at ParadoxKid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always down in chat. There you go. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find John at John Deathman on Twitter. If you didn't catch it earlier, you can find us both at Steel Chair Magazine, where we're writing stuff all the time. John has written a bunch of reviews of this week of, of death matches from all over the place. And I wrote, as I said in the other part of the show, a story I'm very proud of because I got a lot of cool reviews from it. It's a story about Los Exoticos. And uh, for Pride Month, I went into the history of Exoticos, which is not necessarily pleasant, but an important story to be told because Exoticos have become more and more accepted in mainstream media thanks to some very hardworking wrestlers who you should know more about. So go read that. All right, we'll be back next week. And myself and Alex and Marcus will be looking at AW, AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door, which is going to be happening tonight. So if you're watching it in the morning after the show is finished, we hope you really enjoy it, and we'll catch up with you next week. Take care. Bye.